Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. You're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam. Streaming on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at DCAUReview.com. Now, here's today's episode. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 88 of the DCAU Review. I'm one of your hosts, Cal, and with me are our host... Our gentleman that runs our Twitter page, and my good brother, Liam. Liam, episode 88 of the DCAU Review kicking off here, and we are still covering Batman Beyond here in the new decade. Mm-hmm. That is uh, continuing in season two of Batman Beyond, and we got another great one this week, actually. Yeah, absolutely. This episode that we'll be covering this week is Blood Sports, which uh, features the debut of another of the great batman beyond rogues gallery i feel like that's one of the things going back and revisiting this show that has really stood out to me the most and i'm sure we've talked about it on the episodes of batman beyond that we've reviewed but just how freaking great and how uh cool the batman beyond rogues gallery is and how they didn't and we've talked about that and the creators have certainly spoken about how they didn't want to just do joker beyond and two-face beyond and stuff like that so you know taking sort of archetypal uh, types of villains, uh, super villains from maybe other comics or something, but adapting them into this Batman Beyond world and really giving them their own flavor. And this is a great example of that today. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a fun episode. It does uh, it does introduce the very toyetic stalker. Oh yeah, to the episode uh, that that guy actually. So there's a little trivia note here. We've talked about action figures before. We have our own very our very own episode that we released just a few weeks back about our fa- top 10 favorite DCAU toys, which you can hear on the ar- in the archives at dcaureview.com. But uh, yeah, this guy actually has a uh, unreleased figure out there if you ever want to Google and the neat little trivia fact for the three people in your life that may care about this. <laughs> but there is a unreleased stalker figure, has never had a figure made, but is uh, quite, quite toyetic if I do say so myself. But uh, yeah, this episode originally debuted back in October of 1999 October 23rd 1999 actually uh, we we learned as we were we were doing some research on this episode this actually debuted after uh, the episode that we we reviewed last week which was hidden agenda but uh, the episodes were kind of done out of order because you you can tell in this episode Max is in it but she's not aware that Terry is Batman and doesn't know who Matt is despite using him as a cover story in the previous episode so neat neat little trivia question or a tidbit that you pulled there but Liam before we jump into our four main categories as we always do we'd like to give you that opportunity to really use those pipes those (laughs) God-given blessed pipes of yours in your best announcer voice to read the ever-entertaining IMDb synopsis for this week's episode. Absolutely, and this is for the episode Bloodsport, as we mentioned, and that episode was written by Rich Fogel. It was directed by Dan Reba, and that synopsis reads as such. Batman finds himself the quarry of an augmented hunter who is seeking the ultimate challenge. And that is, in fact, a pretty succinct and uh, correct uh, explanation of our plot to here today. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, that's uh, it's quite succinct. <laughs> so yeah, basically the episode opens with uh, we get like kind of a cold open, so to speak, with uh, the stalker uh, moving into a, a, a luxurious penthouse and being a jerk to his bellhop. And from there, we kind of slowly realize that he is there to, in fact, hunt the most dangerous game of all, the Batman. Oh, human beings. Or, or man. <laughs> or, yes, just man in general, as the phrase goes. But in this case, the man in question is, in fact, Batman. Um, there's a subplot with Terry's mom, who kind of really has her hands full at work. She's trying to take this test. That Terry a, deems is stupid, by right. the way. Like, she's taking a test so she can get some sort of certification that will allow her to get a promotion. And, yeah, assume we would assume make more money. And Terry's like, ugh! He's like, he's so annoyed that, like, she asks him to get groceries once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because their father is dead. Right. And she's a single mom. And it's Terry's fault. <laughs> their father's dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy i mean it's Derek power's it fault but hey yeah ultimately it's anyway fault. maybe anyway, maybe yeah. don't complain so much to your mom just stop at the gosh darn corner store <laughs> pick up some gosh darn milk for your loving mother who works Ugh. slaves so that you can w- go to school and be bruce right. wayne's batman or just tell her you're batman those are those are your options <laughs> Right. Don't be a jerk or tell you're Batman. Exactly. Uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. So the, the plot continues as as uh, we sort of learn ba- Batman and Stalker have this interaction. He leads him into a sort of a trap. He wants to be, you know, his attempt obviously is to kill Batman, and we find out later on some of the backstory of the character. But uh, we we first just see that he's attempting to kill Batman. There's this ritual that he sort of performs in his penthouse suite in the the top of Gotham, where he paints himself up in in uh in what did you call it uh it con- urban camouflage urban, urban camouflage like right. urban for futuristic gotham city so like R- right. he blends in with like circuit boards and pretty cool is yeah. it pretty pretty cool we'll talk about that in design work but then then uh he has this interaction with batman where we, he hits him with a concussion grenade of, of some kind that we learn later has basically allowed the stalker to track batman due to yes. his uh cybernetic enhancements um, we find out later that he has been this big game hunter, Bruce, through uh, the this, you know doing research through the Interpol files. He's this big game hunter that's been on the run for for poaching in several different continents. And uh, then the st- the stalker himself, after he has kidnapped Matt, um, in order to lure Batman to to uh, into this battle where he can hopefully kill him. Uh, we he tells Matt the story of how he got the his back broken by this panther. Is that what it yeah. was? A, pan, a panther, I believe. Yes. And his, uh, his back was broken in three different places. He was then some shadow group that they don't exactly reveal. But yeah. you have a an interesting fan theory we, for. We can until I'm proven wrong. We can pretend this is some remnant of Cadmus, right? Sure. I, I mean, absolutely. We we learn later in in epilogue that Cadmus was around for quite a long time and. Uh, you know, very well could have been a part of uh, part of their experiments, but he's he's given cybernetic enhancements, and uh, he actually goes out and kills this panther by hand. Yes, and then ever since then he's been hunting down and, and wanted to wanted to uh, to to continue hunting things, and he sees Batman as his greatest challenge because he believes the spirit of Batman 
sort of uh, passes through the greatest warriors of the concrete jungle, as he put it. Yeah. So his goal is to kill this uh, so-called greatest warrior spirit, which is a which is a unique unique look at it. I think it's it's pretty cool because they anytime they they flesh out the fact that Batman Batman as a legend to the the normal people or to the world at large because we all we obviously the viewer understand and and are given the look behind the proverbial curtain of who Batman is right. But anytime that you create that lore of people outside of who Bat. To see that see Batman's interactions every single day, Batman as a legend or Batman as a rumor or Batman is you know whatever whatever people think of him. Seeing right. seeing people think his perspective of Batman is he's this dark warrior spirit that is passed around sort of you know from as a mantle um that lives on its own and, and passes through different people and different hosts right which is a, which is a really cool theory and a really cool way to look and and it makes sense if you've never heard of batman or you hear batman as a legend and that's the type of you know the upbringing that you have and believing in these deep dark spirits or things things like this occurring yeah. uh i think that fits well also for this yeah, character it's, it's really cool and that's something that isn't tackled as much in this version of batman even in the original batman the animated series the idea of uh of him being like sort of a boogeyman of a you know as you say as as the stalker says in this episode a spirit uh that is there um so yeah that that was a really interesting take on it um and then yeah the ending being that batman kind of outsmarts him we get to see terry who is not necessarily a match for him physical. We get to see him kind of outthink him, and uh, he finally remembered that he can turn invisible, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that allows him to kind of outsmart the stalker. And uh, he electrocutes him, which seems to fry some, maybe some of the cybernetic parts in him, which causes him to hallucinate and and see this this terrifying panther that. Yeah, he's now sort of convinced that maybe Batman and this panther, it's some sort of strange demon that's following him and torturing him. And eventually he jumps off the roof of, uh, of the place where they're, they're fighting and, and lands on train tracks. And then we don't, we don't see what happens, but it, it is certainly implied that he sort of, uh, you know, is hit by the train and, and, uh, you know, spoiler alert, he does come back later on in the series. So this isn't the end of the stalker, but it is, for that moment, a pretty uh, pretty dramatic ending, and and speaks to the, the more superstitious side of of this character. Yeah, um, and and I guess the, the the elephant in the room we were kind of joking when we first started up the episode is that yes, we've talked about this before. How clearly there is some like Steve Ditko era Spider Man uh, just in the DNA of this show for sure, and so that. Yes, there are some similarities between the Stalker and Craven the Hunter yeah. in the sense that it's a big game hunter from you know across the world comes to Gotham City or in, obviously in Spider-Man case it would be New York, but uh, to to attack this who he sees as would be like the ultimate prize, the ultimate hunt. So certainly there is some some homage in that and some. Uh, taken from that that especially those some of those original you know 60s spider-man comics as well for this character but i really like that twist that you mentioned of him kind of being the, the again the shadowy government agency giving him these uh the, these robot parts that make him sort of even more of a threat than he already would have been and 
and this again his his ideology of of spirits and demons sort of driving him to want to destroy batman is it's it's really well done it feels like he's on some sort of strange spiritual quest when he's performing that ritual uh in in his hotel room when (laughs) when the maid comes in and he yells at her to get out it's like it feels it feels and in one of the scenes when he's talking to Matt right before he goes in the explanation, you see that he's wearing a headdress that is made of the panther mm-hmm. um you know with the, with the red streak in its face so um it's it's really interesting to have that be like yes, he's a hunter, yes, there's some similarities to Craven, but also it's much more of like a spiritual thing for this guy than just being a hunter who wants to kill batman yeah it gives him it gives him depth like you said, and I, I think it really. It really made this episode very fun for me because I remember going, you know, going into it. I was like, ah, I don't remember the stalker being a, being a very good character. Yeah. But the fact that you know you're looking at it through analytical eyes now, and certainly a little bit older than the first time I saw that episode, it's yeah, you you appreciate the depth that they give the character, and maybe the cybernetics are a little bit of a cop out as to why or how. But the fact that they gave the, why or how he's an equal to Batman or, or better than stronger than Batman, right? But it creates tension there and how batman's going to defeat him because we you know we learned in last week's episode terry's what did max say somewhere between five six and six feet tall or something like that so and in this episode they clearly say that he's six foot four and you know so he's he's a a hulking figure as as it is and then he's given these cybernetic enhancements on top of it and he's you know knowledgeable when it comes to hunting things and so there there does create some tension there on top of it then he kidnaps terry's brother right so terry's terrified that this is going to be something that you know that's going to be a stain on him he's already lost his dad you know who's in charge of watching his his brother matt and uh under his watch he sort of gets gets kidnapped so yeah, all all that to say, I I appreciate also they didn't make this about Batman's identity. Stalker doesn't care yes. who Batman is; he just wants to he he believes more in the spirit of Batman than the mm-hmm. actual person it is. So it doesn't matter who it is; he's just trying to kill this this version of Batman. So yeah. um, this is a very strong episode. I think bringing really that the the sequence, and we'll talk about it in just a moment in visuals, but the sequence of stalker retelling the tale of him versus this this panther was was really really incredible and, yeah. and re- really that final fight scene with the it they bounce from trap to trap to trap to trap mm-hmm. and it's done so well um you know it feels like terry's really cornered and he's met his match or is, is about to be bested uh i i gave because of all of that and just the overall enjoyment of this episode i gave it a perfect 10 out of 10 Yes, I also gave it a perfect ten out of ten. Nice. Yeah, it's uh, for all the reasons we mentioned. It's it's tremendous, and and it really feels like we found our, an, another new, unique take on maybe a, a an, an archetype of a villain that already exists, but really making it their own for this series. Agreed. Um, justice for the uh, for the Batman Beyond <laughs> Rogues Gallery. Those guys need some action <laughs> figures. Damn no it! Kidding. <laughs> All right, moving forward, uh, let's talk about animation and visuals. Liam, a lot of great, a lot of great visuals. We touched on a few already, but um, what what were some of your 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 favorite visuals in this episode? Yeah, there's even from almost the first scene. There's this shot where the the stalker is standing out on his balcony of his hotel room and a mosquito lands on him and drinks his blood and starts to fly away and you just see his eyes follow it and then he pulls out a blow like a blow dart 
and you don't see it, thank God, but you hear the blow dart <laughs> hit the mosquito and the, the dart go into a wall. So it's like, it's really, again, it's, it's almost like a completely visual thing other than the sound effects. And it's, it really adds to the, again, this, this idea of this man who is just this perfect hunter and the way, the way the stalker moves as they show him jumping around and, and, you know, flipping from building to building, um, when he first confronts Batman in the museum and he's completely covered in shadow and is kind of jumping in the rafters and on top of these large displays and you just see it all in shadow as he's stalk- literally stalking Batman in that scene. Um, I, I just I loved almost everything about how they visualized not just the character design itself, which is very cool and striking, but also just the way he moved, the actual animation itself uh, I thought like he the way he moves it's very animalistic which is Agreed. not an accident and there's a lot of ferocity when he does you know confront him physically like it feels like a really vicious fight is is taking place. I I agree and um I think for me the strongest visuals come in that flashback in the battle between him and the panther mm-hmm. and the 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 visual they chose to go with in the flashback instead of doing a, a black and white flashback or maybe a sepia toned as we've yeah. seen in other iterations they go with this black and red motif mm-hmm. which is very purposeful because of what happens later on <laughs> um, but at the time it just creates this striking visual and I, it's funny because I thought about it and I guess I, I, I struggle to think maybe I, I guess you see it sort of when you're inside the Batmobile at times you have that red that striking mm-hmm. red light and the black but I almost wish there would almost be an entire episode done like hmm. that. Like it had me, had me craving yeah. a, an like episode. City yeah. It, yeah, absolutely. It gives you that sin city sort of overtone, um, which of course is done more in black and white, but this is, you know, red, red and black, but still uh, it, it just, it, just creates a different tone of things and of course it's done intentionally because you know the the panther has that red highlighted stripe on his forehead which may have been blood i I believe was intended to be blood because he talked about how it was wounded um and then of course it overcomes him he goes back and he attacks the same panther tears it to pieces but then of course after batman gets the best of him and he jams his uh he has that that staff that he that he's been carrying with him and he jams it into the trap that is that has batman's foot caught which electrocutes him fry we talked about it fries that fries that uh, circuitry in his in his back his his whatever i guess hunter vision or whatever you want to call it that he's been using to track starts starts glitching and it it causes the the scene of batman in front of him to sort of morph into the panther with the black and the red and the the white eyes and it's so good yeah and then even then after he jumps off this building and lands on the train as the train is coming towards him the train sort of morphs into a very similar visual as well Mm so uh very very striking very cool i i concur with you the the stalker design is unique i mean it's funny when you first see him it's a bald dude right. no eyebrows and then in the very next scene you see him it's a bald dude no eyebrows sitting in a loincloth and you're like this is weird <laughs> yeah. but then they add you know he he does the ritual he paints himself up and uh really is at they gave him some wristbands and sort mm-hmm. of like ankle bands or something too and uh, it's a visually interesting character it's a visually interesting episode and i think that the traps also add add a good visual to mm-hmm. to it too because they were all different they were all different in, in how they acted and, and reacted and after, as batman gets caught in them but very very strong episode which is why i gave animation visuals a 10 
out of 10. What about you? Very nice. Yeah, I also gave it a 10 out of 10. Um, so we've been on the same page so far. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, I mean, you've already covered a lot of that flashback. The the thing that struck out to me is very, or stood out to me, I should say, very early on in the episode, you noticed the scar on the back of his neck and uh, on yeah. his back. And later, not until pretty late in the episode, does he explain that it was from a surgery. And at the end, when he's being electrocuted, you see, like, the scar begins to glow because I guess the idea is that's where a lot of the circuitry is in his body is in in this in his spine and so you see his that that scar grow and become hot and you kind of begin to see the outline of his vertebrae um which i thought was really really well done the the haunting things i thought was when they actually show it's it's all done in like silhouettes and shadows but you see like a buzzsaw going down towards his his uh, spine. Yeah. They show him on the operating table. Yeah, we he's were like wide awake for whatever reason. It's like these guys these guys couldn't give him a little <laughs> anesthesia. Is this part of the tor- like they had to right. torture him while doing this yeah, too? Yeah, he's a mad scientist. <laughs> but uh, they show that, and there's after he has killed the panther with his bare hands, they kind of do a reverse coloration where again he's all in red, and then the uh, the blood on him, which is clearly the blood of the panther, is black on his shows up as black where his skin shows up as red. So again, as you mentioned, those really cool visual things they did with the the kind of the the black and red color palette for that flashback scene. Um, yeah, like I said, if I didn't already say, I also gave it a ten out of ten. Yep. Um, just absolutely tremendous and uh, just a, such a treat. Yeah, absolutely. And a pleasant surprise, like I said, wasn't one that I had remembered sticking out. I I don't even remember that sequence very well um, in the seeing this episode too many times. So that was that sequence alone is worth a worth a a rewatch, in my opinion. You can pull that scene up on YouTube, I'm sure. All right, Liam, uh, let's uh, let's move on to our next category, which is music. Music is started out very strong in this episode. I feel like you can tell there is a uh, an African style, I would mm-hmm. say. Uh, there's some native drums. There's uh, some horns playing in the background. Mm-hmm. It sounds, you know, like a shofar or something mm-hmm. uh, blowing in the background and giving that sort of African beat to it, mm-hmm. um, letting you know. And and I don't think they ever say what continent he's from, but I, I guess that's w- what's implied. Yeah. He's from he's from Africa, um, but. I thought it started off very strong, and I think it ended very strong. It wasn't necessarily needed in the middle as much. I guess there's a little bit of tension in the Matt storyline, and certainly as Terry's being pursued by Stalker in the middle of the episode, there's some good pursuit music. Yeah. Um, but I, I felt like it fell off a little bit. There wasn't. I thought that there was going to be like a Stalker theme that stood out, mm-hmm. and I think you know thinking of this as we always talk about compared to batman the animated series which is what we have to do because that's right. the that's the, where this all started you know maybe in if this was an episode of batman the animated series there may have been a um you know a standout theme that yeah. played throughout but if the music isn't as heavily relied upon in, in batman in batman beyond yeah yeah musically uh i should mention the music was done by michael McQuiston in this episode um it felt very similarly in a weird way to the Curare episode, um, where there That's is a, a certain style of music that is used. As you mentioned, the native drums, there's a little bit of chanting, there's the horns. Um, not your typical Batman Beyond music. There's not much electric guitar in this episode, but 
there isn't that like specific theme where you talk about everyone from you know Joker to Poison Ivy to the Ninja had their own you know pretty unique theme for their episode. Um, and here it's like it's a there is a certain style and a certain emotion and a certain tempo that they go with but yeah i wouldn't say there's like a definitive one moment where you're like that's the stalker theme it's more of kind of just a general musical theme of the entire episode it's more of an atmosphere than it is yeah. a specific assignment yeah i think that, yeah i think that's yeah. a good way yeah uh with that said i i think the music is strong i think it's it's always a little disappointing when when you when I compare it to Batman the Animated <laughs> Series in that way, and it's not necessarily fair, but like we said, that's kind of what we we have to compare it to. Um, with that said, music very, 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 very strong. Um, I went with a solid eight out of ten for music. What about you? Yeah, I'm in the same ballpark. I went nine out of ten. So, like I said, I, I think I do think it's very strong, and I like uh, the the chase music and uh, when when the stock when Terry's on the subway and trying or the train and trying to get away from him and. And the the stalker's following him on top, and then Terry kind of outwits him. Like I, I think they do a, a very good job. But yeah, it's a it's a it's a really strong. Like I said, I appreciate the idea of a of an overarching theme and style of music for the whole episode. I agree. All right, let's move on to our final category: of the day, Liam voice actors we have an interesting cast today as we always seem to do we have a couple of familiar voices uh out of place as it were here so let's talk yes. about uh, today's cast yeah so obviously other than our our main uh our main cast we do have ryan o'donohue as matt mcginnis who is probably the this is probably the most focus he's had in any episode to date agree and like it it is a very generic like little kid voice but i think it works because because especially once the stalker has told you this incredibly violent and dramatic story to have the kid just be like, cool. I think it actually kind of works. So in this episode. question, is this an actual child playing, playing this character or is it I an adult? I believe so. I believe okay. Because as a compliment, it sounds like an adult doing a child voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds very similar to like, you know, Bart Simpson or one of those, you know, I guess, you know, any of the time Tara Strong does a, a child's voice on, on a cartoon where it sounds like an adult doing a child voice. Yeah, I believe he would. Uh, I'm wicking the, the man as we speak. He was born in uh, somewhere in the mid 80s. Wiki is not. So he's probably like a teenager when he was okay. recording this. So he wasn't. A child, child, certainly not the age that Matt McGinnis sure. uh, portrayed to be. So a little bit, a little bit older, still obviously not a thirty-five-year-old woman or something doing right. the voice, which is sometimes what you get in those instances. But as a compliment, I think that that's what it comes off as. Which is mm-hmm. there's a reason why so many of the chi- male child voices are done by wi- uh, you know middle-aged right. women or or young younger women. It's because that that's they're able to perform and act in in ways that a child may get a performance out of them that maybe a child isn't able to quite deliver Mm -hmm. with that said having a teenager uh, or a younger teen at this time play that character is perfectly acceptable also because it comes they do a good job yeah and we also have terry gar returning as uh, mary mcginnis again she has a little bit of a focus it's mostly just her lecturing terry about not doing his part and Terry being a jerk to her. I felt like she um, was a little more animated in this episode than she's yeah. been. I mean, I think the most exposure we had from her was in, uh, certainly in Rebirth. She, there, was yeah. a, there was a big part that she played in that episode. But um, this this kind of gives her, you know, she gets to express some frustration with Terry acting like a jerk, <laughs> which is... <laughs> 
typical of Terry McGinnis. Like, I don't want to start any trouble, but it seems like he's really a jerk to all the women in his life. <laughs> Wasn't he oh. living with his dad, too? Yeah, he mm, was. Maybe he's got some mm, women issues. Maybe he's got some issues there. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't believe women are people. Maybe we should do a bonus episode of, of like, where we sit down and do, like, a Dr. Phil style with each character in the DC. <laughs> no, 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 maybe. We're exposing Terry McGinnis's uh, latent sexism. But anyway, uh, no, she, yeah, she has a little bit more to do here. Um, I wish we got a little more of her at the end because we get, like, a moment of her being like, Matt, I was so worried. Worried. And then that's kind of the end of the episode. Yeah, why was she? Wouldn't shouldn't she have been pissed off at Terry because Terry? Not only does Terry not pick up the milk and give right. his mom slack for sure. giving her a bunch of crap for studying for a test to better herself in her career, <laughs> but also now he's lost his younger brother to a, like. If they had explained it away honestly as as like, oh, Matt's just making up a funny story that happened at right. fake Chuck E. Cheese, then okay. But that's that's clearly not what happened. She believes him. She believes right. the story that he got saved by Batman after being kidnapped. She doesn't hold Terry accountable for that. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's again, we kind of just move on very quickly. So I would have liked to have seen a little bit more from her in that scene, but that's obviously not, uh, that's uh, not her fault. Yeah. Uh, Terry Gar's fault for that. But yeah, other than that, we have, uh, we have a little bit of Cree summer as max, but again, as we said, this was kind of uh, produced out of order. So, She's still kind of a, treated as a more minor character at this point. Um, and then we have, playing the stalker, we have one Carl Lumbly. And this is back-to-back weeks that we had a future Justice Leaguer as our main villain of the piece. There you go. Um, I will say, he doesn't talk as much as Michael wrote. And he does, it's like he, has, like, he has a little bit of a thicker accent as the stalker than he does as John Jones. Correct. So I think that helps differentiate it a little bit yeah i i don't think and and i don't think that he was yeah his his jean voice is unique enough like like i feel like if michael rosenbaum as the flash had only been compared to his his character last week yeah then if that was the only comparison that we had then we maybe wouldn't have been as harsh on it uh, because Carl Lumbly has only played, he played the mayor of of Metropolis, I believe. Yes, in uh, the Speed Demons. Yes, yeah, Speed Demons. Yeah. Flash, uh, yeah, speaking of the Flash, man, we're just connecting all kinds of dots here. <laughs> um, speaking of which, we talked about this. Is it possible that John Jones? No, it's not. No. <laughs> but there is. We should mention here that uh, Carl Lumbly also goes on to voice the Spider uh, Nancy in Static Shock, mm-hmm. who is a African American. Or not, maybe not African American at all, because he's just in he's Africa. African, right? He's an African man uh, who is a superhero of Africa that Static meets on a couple of occasions. Could and they're both voiced by Carl Umbly. Could mm. this be the grandson of oh, the Spider? Oh, Could maybe. This be- you know the the grand ne- the great nephew or something. I, I, I'm not saying. Or maybe they. I, I'm just saying like they sound very much alike. I'm not seeing any evidence out there to disprove your theory All at right, this well, point. Well, I'll I'll uh, I'll send this question over to to Maddie and James at Watchtower <laughs> Database. They can they can argue about it uh, on their own time. But uh, yeah, that. But I would say yeah, comparing this last week to a different familiar voice doing a, an unfamiliar role so to speak i think carl umbley does a great job and again he especially going over that flashback scene that we keep coming back to and uh the, the line that really speaks out for me for every reason is when he's when he first is fighting batman in that final beat and and he's kind of just kicking the crap out of him and terry keeps falling into the traps and he's 
you're the great Batman, the dark demon of the concrete jungle. And the way he says it, and he's, he's, he, he's getting very overconfident and almost like he can't believe how easy this is. Does he call him pathetic? I think he calls him pathetic, yes. too, right yes, after that. He calls him like a cat. He, he says, I, I fought kittens with more fight than you or something like that. Yeah. So he's just really like begins to just berate and talk down to, he's to feeling Batman. Himself. <laughs> yeah, he's he's feeling very confident and, and ter- he's able to kind of turn it around in those last moments. And as we mentioned, and then he begins to hallucinate and see this panther that had hurt him and see see Batman as as this demon again and it it freaks him out and he runs away but yeah overall i thought uh, the voice acting just from from top to bottom really in the episode is really really strong and uh, because of that i gave it another 10 out of 10 nice nice uh, yeah I don't know why I gave it a nine out of ten. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's strong. It's very, very strong. Um, I think, I think, um, you know, you didn't have a huge cast, and there wasn't a whole lot asked asked of it. I think that maybe just that that um, that last scene that was that was just kind of confusing. And again, mm-hmm. we talked about that's not any of the actors' fault, right? But it's just sort of played off as a oh what silly silly Terry <laughs> let Matt get kidnapped so maybe right. that should have gone towards the plot score instead of the voice acting score but yeah. um, I you know of course we get Kevin Conroy in this episode yeah. as well playing a supporting role of Bruce and it's interesting because you know we didn't we didn't get to really touch on this in plot but it makes sense that this was done in production order before last week's episode because the tone feels very much closer <laughs> to what we're used to yes. as opposed to what we experienced last week. Yeah. And it's interesting that maybe this this episode being the final go-around for that tone mm-hmm. is scored so high on our list yeah. here. Um, but yeah, I, I ended up giving a 9 out of 10. I think that uh, the performances are really strong. There's just not a big enough sample size of everybody, I think, for for there to be i don't know maybe that's lame should i give this a 10 out of 10 it's yeah like, it sounds like score, I'm ta- i feel like i'm talking myself into a 10 out of 10 like why did i only give this a, a 9 out of 10 swerve, bro. But, yeah uh, you know what for the first time in history live on the program i'm changing my score mid score wow. i'm giving this a 10 out of 10 because i have no gosh darn reason to not give this a 10 out of 10 wow 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 <laughs> so uh yeah correction voice 10 out of 10 there you go all right liam uh so that will bring us to our final scores here totaling everything up here uh i have a very very strong and maybe our very strongest batman episode batman beyond episode to date i have to check back in the archives at dcaureview.com to be sure uh but this episode for me i'm giving it a 38 out of 40 Wow, and yeah, I'm even slightly stronger than that at a 39 out of 40. You know what? I think I, I think I came close to it. Maybe gave Meltdown a perfect score. Uh, we, yeah, that we were very high on that one. I think we were very high on uh, a couple of the other episodes. Certainly, Lost Soul ranked very high as well. For sure, so it'll be yeah, it'll be fun to uh, to check check that check that out. And I'll I'll tweet something this week to uh, confirm or deny whether or not this is in fact the highest rated Batman Beyond episode. You think we done. would? Well, we we don't talk about our scores beforehand, but right? Yeah, I mean, let's talk about rewatchability. I, I'd say this is a much must watch. I agree. One, obviously, it's introducing a new villain that comes back a few more times in the show. Two, it's just a darn great episode. So if it checks off both of those boxes, I think it's 
yeah, it's an automatic must-watch. Uh, I, I concur. So that will bring us to the end of this week's episode. Liam, thank you, everyone, for joining us, as always, and listening. Don't forget, if you haven't done so yet, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or probably whatever else you listen to. It's probably <laughs> on there as well. Uh, don't forget to follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at DCAU Review. Twitter, of course, Liam's tweeting all day, every day about everything DCAU Review and DC and comic book related. Uh, we'd love to chat comics on there. And then, of course, on our Instagram page, which we are slowly building a following for, uh, you can certainly get we release clips from upcoming episodes on there. We uh, we post when the new episodes have been released, and you never know what else is going to show up on there, so be sure to give us a follow uh, on there as well. Liam, before we go, let us talk about next week's episode. you have a preview of what we're covering for next week's episode? I sure do. <laughs> That's right, Cal. I do have a preview for next <laughs> week's episode, and it is, in fact, the episode Once Burned, which will be the second appearance of Melanie Walker and the rest of the Royal Flush Gang. All right. Looking forward to the return of uh, Terry's girlfriend that he likes to cheat on his actual girlfriend with. Worst. Dana deserves better, man. man. Forever. Forever. <laughs> All right. That'll bring us to the end of this week's episode. I'm Cal. And I'm Liam. And we'll catch you on the next week's episode of the DCAU Review. Farewell.